You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to episode number 233 of You Don't Know Flack. I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's episode, we will be talking about bowling. This episode of You Don't Know Flack was made possible by my Patreon supporters, supporters like Sir Chris Alot and Catman, both of whom just recently joined my Patreon. If you'd like to support my podcast and other creative ventures, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, random videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more details, visit my page. Again, that is patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Would you believe that I wrote the notes for this week's show on a piece of paper, locked that piece of paper in a locker at my local bowling alley, and then lost the key? I can hardly believe it myself, but that is what happened. So while I wait for the manager to show up with a master key, we've got a few minutes to chat on this week's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Well, we're back with a new episode of You Don't Know Flack. And speaking of backs, my back is wrecked. I have been talking about this on social media and on my website. I think I even made a Patreon post about this. But um, I started having some back issues the date all the way back to before Christmas. I didn't know what was happening. My back was uh, just in pain. And then that pain began manifesting itself as back spasms. The pain would not stop. Uh, The spasms were happening when I woke up in the morning. I told my wife it felt like someone was following me around uh, with an axe and just randomly hitting me in the nerves in the middle of my back with an axe. It doesn't feel good. Um, sometimes it happens in the morning when I'm trying to stand up out of bed. Sometimes it it hits so hard that I um, have actually fallen back into bed. And uh, it got to the point on Valentine's Day where uh, the spasms were happening about once a minute. And so after an hour of that, I ended up going to the emergency room. And at the emergency room, uh, the, one of the, the issues was they were, they were, it was so painful and happening so frequently that I felt like my arm and leg were starting to tingle, which is a, um, symptom of having heart issues or a heart attack. So they immediately, when we mentioned that whisked me back into the ER, they did an EKG and said everything was fine with my heart. In fact, um, once they find out that it's not a heart problem, most of the doctors leave. <laughs> that was their, their primary concern. Uh, the, the pain was, uh, I described it as a 10 out of 10, which if you tell doctors that at an emergency room, you will immediately get morphine, uh, which is, a um, you know, <clears throat> we, we joke about, uh, 
people joke about like, oh, I'll get me on that morphine drip. But I, I got to tell you, it got me, got me through uh, about four hours uh, in an emergency room of intense back pain. They did a CT scan on my back, and basically what they have found are some calcium deposits uh, that are building up on my spine. Now, it turns out this is not all that uncommon. In fact, from what I read, about 25% of adult males have calcium deposits that build up on their spine over time. In fact, when I asked the doctor, like, you know, how did this happen in such a short amount of time? He said it didn't. He said this is probably 20 years of buildup, uh, but in a few rare cases, and I'm uh, always the lucky recipient of rare cases I've found, uh, they, the calcium deposits have built up in an area that is touching where the nerves and muscles uh, and things go in and out of the spine. And so uh, the um, uh, immediate treatment, they put me on a steroid for five days, and I just finished that yesterday, and today is... Uh, uh, has been a, a bad day for backs. So the, the the steroid works, but you can't be on a steroid, I guess, for a long period of time. Uh, so they've given me some uh, pain medication, which is a temporary uh, solution. They uh, are scheduling me for some physical therapy, which is contradictory in my way of thinking. Like, I think I would want to use my back less rather than more, but... Uh, it turns out there's some physical therapy, there's some exercises and things. If you build the muscles in your back, apparently it can take some of the, the weight and strain off those other areas that are sore. So uh, as I told the doctor, I'll try anything. <laughs> I'm not in a position to say no to any treatments right now. So uh, I have some prescription uh, pain pills. They're not, I had to, I had to kind of uh, figure out the, the order and the times to take things or whatever, because I found out there were a couple of combinations that would just wipe me out and, and, um, uh, put me, uh, ironically on my back. Um, so it can't do that, you know? Uh, and in fact, I've kind of, uh, uh, I was a little scared of like, I don't want to be a guy who lives in a chair. Uh, you know, like when I'm in my office chair, I'm pretty comfortable when I'm in my recliner, which is right here in my office. I'm pretty comfortable, but I don't want to live my life that way. And so uh, once the steroids kicked in, I kind of overcompensated and I did a little bit too much, maybe as a way to just prove to myself uh, that I that I still could, uh, which wasn't wasn't the best idea. But I would say right now I'm operating at about 80%, maybe 75, 80%, you know, um, uh, there's, there's good times and bad times, but, uh, um, the, uh, so the short term, like I said, is, uh, was the, the pain medication and the steroids, uh, medium term treatment is physical therapy. And, um, was there something else with that? They're, and they're going to do another MRI, um, you know, and just, just try to take a look and see what's going on. And then, um, if all these, oh, and steroid shots, that's another medium thing where they will put a steroid shot and I've seen my wife get steroid shots in her knees. Uh, it is the longest needle I've ever seen, uh, other than, uh, in, in like a movie, a horror movie. <laughs> uh, but if it's in my back, I won't have to see it. So that'll be good. So, um, then the, uh, uh, long, I mean, the final thing, if none of those other things work is, uh, would be back surgery. Now, again, I have been told my entire life, 
uh, to avoid back surgery at all costs. Uh, I've talked to many people who've had back surgery who've said uh, back surgery only made my issues worse. But if there's a silver lining in this, uh, the back surgery that they're talking about for me would be outpatient. It would literally be uh, them, uh, you know, opening my back and scraping that calcium off where it's at. Uh, it would not be, you know, anything near my spinal column or any of the, the kind of uh, dangerous areas that people associate with back surgery. So that would be a last resort, but it is on the table. Um, but for right now, uh, or, you know, dealing dealing with what we got. Um, so one uh, side thing I would mention is that I, a couple of months ago, I spun up a second Patreon for my side project, Big Rob's Van, and I closed that down this week. Um, I, I've never been comfortable with doing Patreon uh, in, in a situation where I'm not able to consistently deliver content, I always feel like, um, you know, if people are, are paying to support me and, and for content, then they deserve those things. And I just couldn't in good conscience keep that up because, uh, getting in and out of the van right now is very difficult. And, uh, the, the easiest thing to cut out right now has been worrying about, generating, uh, you know, van content. So, uh, I was in the van, uh, yesterday I went for a short little drive. I actually, uh, hung out, uh, you know, and one of the, the funny things people are saying is like, uh, you know, if you got a bad back, maybe you shouldn't be sleeping in a van. But the, the irony is, is that the bed in my van is very comfortable. <laughs> it's uh, a six inch firm foam mattress with a three inch foam topper. It's a nine inches of foam. It is one of the most comfortable places for me to lay down. So there's a little bit of irony, I guess, involved in there is that the van is actually very, very comfortable uh, spot for me to, to lay down and stuff. But uh, you know, the physical stuff, the climbing in and out of the van, uh, the woodworking projects I have planned for the van, those are just going to have to, uh, I'm not putting like the everything with Big Rob's van is still on and the YouTube is still there. The Instagram is still there. The website is still there. All those things. But the Patreon, you know, is is that thing that really pushes me to do regular content for the van and then try to generate bonus content for the van. And it's just not something I have the energy for right now. So. Uh, all the van stuff, again, you know, if you go to BigRobsVan.com, if you go to BigRobsVan.com forward slash links, you can find links to all that stuff. But, yeah, the Patreon was just one one thing too many. Um, so, uh, <laughs> here's my, my transition. Uh, I started a new podcast <laughs> um, with uh, my wife. Now, my wife has... Uh, co-hosted for a couple of episodes of You Don't Know Flack. And every time she's on the show, I get consistent feedback saying uh, how funny she is and how everybody wishes she were on the show more. And we've wanted to do a project together for a while, but we just haven't come up with the the right idea for a show. And uh, while listening to some other podcasts, and I found some videos on YouTube, and this idea kind of came to me. It also came because uh, I know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories 
from my childhood of reading, you know, those Time Life books, the Reader's Digest, the Ghost Books, Fate Magazine, Ripley's Believe It or Not, all those kind of things. And I love digging into those stories and then telling them to my wife just to get her reaction. And so that is uh, essentially what the new show, it is called Kooky Tales. It is the Kooky Tales podcast in which I tell my wife kooky tales. Uh, if you're subscribed to my Robcast feed and get all my podcasts, then you may have already received the first episode, and that would be uh, in audio format. However, one of the gems of this show is my wife's drawings. She During the show, she is using a whiteboard and illustrating the things that I'm explaining to her. The first episode is about uh, these ghosts that uh, people, there was two sailors who drowned at sea, they were buried at sea, and then all the sailors on the ship reported seeing their faces following them in the ocean. So we talked uh, about ghost photography and some things like that, and as I told her the story, and she uh, drew some pictures, uh, and there's some gems that are in there. And so if you want to see us do the show a video format, it's also on YouTube. So you could go to uh, Kooky Tales, or go to YouTube and look for Kooky Tales Podcast. So um, it's also on uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes. So if you want to listen to the audio version, look for Kooky Tales Podcast. And if you want to watch the video version, go to YouTube uh, and type the same thing. That's K-O-O-K-Y, Kooky, Kooky Tales Podcast. So we've only done one episode so far. I've got a second one ready to go. And the best thing about it is I do all the heavy lifting. I'm writing uh, the shows. I'll do the editing. I'll do that. All I need for her to do is to show up for an hour. I surprise her with a story. I get her honest reaction uh, of the story. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So we're hoping to put new episodes of that out every Monday. Um, That is my goal. Um, the last thing I would mention is, you know, I did a, an episode a couple episodes ago about the, um, the meta Ray-Ban glasses and, uh, I'm still using those. I'm really enjoying those, but I wanted to just tell just a very brief story. Uh, my wife and I, uh, recently, we both had uh, an afternoon off and we ended up meeting at, the local arcade Cactus Jacks, which I've talked a lot about um, throughout you know my history. It was a arcade that was there when I was a little kid, and it's still there today. They've made a bit of a transition to pinball. I think they have like seventy or seventy-five pinball machines, but they also have a classic arcade section with all the games you would expect, and they probably have fifteen machines: Joust, uh, Defender, Donkey Kong. You know all the the big hitters right there. Uh, and so we went there and spent an entire, I don't know, two hours, maybe just, uh, you know, spinning tokens and, and playing games. It's not like Arcadia Retrocade or 1984, some of those where it's one price to get in and play all the games. All their games are still on their All their arcade games are on tokens. All the pinball machines are on quarters. So a little bit um, inconvenient. I'm not 100% sure why uh, they've done it that way, but uh, that's the way it is. So I got to play. I got to play the brand new Jaws machine. I got to play uh, Stranger Things pinball, which I had not played. Uh, they had uh, they have pinball machines all the way from like the classic seventies. Uh, you know, I played the classic Kiss machine and uh, the pinball wizard. You know, it's got Elton John on there. So I played some old ones. I played some some new ones, uh, and they have like like everything. You know, they had Funhouse. They have. Uh, the Black Hole, they have um, Twilight Zone. I mean, all those ones that uh, people say are the heavy hitters in uh, in uh, the pinball world, they had all of those. So 
we had a really good time doing that. But uh, in addition to all that, I took my Meta Ray-Ban glasses. And uh, so I've got a lot of footage of all the arcade games and all the pinball machines and stuff. So I'm going to – I'll upload that to um, YouTube and uh, just so people could see the, the arcade stuff like that. But uh, we, we had a lot of fun, and it was really fun to, to sit there and play arcade games but also be able to record them with those meta glasses. So, um, yeah, we, we had a, a, a lot of fun. Uh, if you have feedback about this episode or any episode of my shows, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. You can join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave a message on my podcast hotline, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. While I was talking, the manager showed up, unlocked my locker. I've got the notes out of my locker. And so we could get started talking about this episode's topic, which is bowling. My earliest memory of anything that had to do with bowling is playing bowling on the Atari 2600. We did not get an Atari 2600 at launch. My parents, uh, my dad probably made this decision, opted to get the Odyssey 2 because the Odyssey 2 seemed like it had better graphics at the time. And plus it had the keyboard, that built-in keyboard, which gave it the impression that it was uh, more than just a video game console, that it was uh, a computer. But... The problem around here was that you couldn't get games for the Odyssey 2. The only place that we could get games was, I believe, service merchandise, and they were always out of stock. And so after about a year, we got rid of the Odyssey 2. We didn't get rid of anything. We put it in a box and put it in a closet or a garage, and now it's in my garage. But (laughs) um, then we upgraded, uh, I suppose you'd say upgraded, and got the Atari 2600. And so we got a lot of... Those early games, uh, Air Sea Battle, we played that a lot. Um, I remember, you know, Superman. I did a whole episode of You Don't Know Flack about the Atari 2600. It's been a long time, and I probably shouldn't have thrown every Atari 2600 story uh, into a single episode, but that's what I did. But I think I talked a little bit on that episode about playing bowling. Bowling on the Atari 2600, if you recall, you're, you're a bowler on the left, you throw a relatively square-looking ball to the right, and you hit the, the pins. It's a very strange perspective because on the left, you're looking at a guy uh, like on, from the side. Uh, and on the right, the pins are arranged like you're looking top-down. So it's kind of a, a strange perspective in the game. They did what they could do. Um, and that is the only memory ever I have of playing a video game with my grandmother. My grandma, Grandma O, Grandma O'Hara from Chicago had come down. We had just got bowling, and she and I played bowling on the Atari 2600. And I beat her, uh, you know, readily uh, because I'd been playing the game. And I knew, you know, if you've played that version, you know, if you line the ball up at a certain spot and you press up, you know, you can get a strike almost every time uh, if, if you if you know the timing, you know. And uh, I beat her, and she said, well, 
she had vision problems in that she was uh, blind in one eye. And so I was like, oh, geez. And I felt terrible. Um, and then later I thought, I don't think depth perception is so much a, a part of required skill for Atari 2600 bowling. But I also remember my, my grandma O, now my grandpa O was um, 100% Irish. His parents came here from Ireland, so he was 100% Irish. Uh, but my grandma was uh, part Russian and part Polish. And uh, I remember her saying some words in Russian that I didn't know what they were. And I repeated them later. And someone told me I shouldn't repeat those. So that naughty old grandma always cussing in front of me in Russian just because I beat her at bowling. But, um, um, you know, I would say the Atari 2600 version of bowling is where I learned, uh, you know, bowling, like the the essentials of bowling, like that you got to bowl twice. That was your turn. You got to throw the ball twice. That's where I learned how the scoring works. You know, if you get a strike and then another strike and, and uh, you know, eventually, you know, uh, compounding your score because, you know, when you look at it, you could get, it seems like you can knock down 10 pins and you go 10 times, so it would seem like the highest score you could get would be 100. But it's not. Of course, the perfect bowling game is 300. So, um, yeah, Atari 2600 bowling is really where I learned uh, the basics of bowling. Now, within a very short period of time, maybe a year or two after getting that, my mom joined a daytime bowling league. Now, I've mentioned this in the past. I think today... The terminology would have been she ran a home daycare, but uh, back then we just said that she was a babysitter. So uh, my uh, my buddy Andy, who I interviewed on episode, uh, I think that was the 200th episode, if you don't know Flat, uh, his mom, uh, both of his parents worked. And so during the summer, my buddy Andy and then uh, his brother, Matt, who was the middle child, and then... Uh, the youngest sister, who was about the same age as my sister, would spend the days with us uh, during the summer. But my mom also watched two to three other kids during the summer. Sometimes that number went up. So there was always a lot of kids at my house. But during the summer, definitely Andy and his family and, and us. And then my mom watched um, uh, another girl and then eventually her younger brother. So there was, uh, you know, a lot of kids, but on, uh, I want to say it was Wednesdays, but I could be getting that confused with, with a later memory. But one day a week, uh, my mom, uh, and, uh, and Andy's mom would go bowling and maybe Andy's mom. I, now that I say that she must not have been working, uh, maybe at this time she wasn't working, but we would all go to the bowling alley. We would pile into our station wagon. They would pile into their station wagon or their van. I, they may have had a van at that point. We had a, a big giant Mercury station wagon. We would all you know, pile in and go to um, the Yukon Bowling Alley. That's what we called it, the Yukon Bowling Alley. It was owned by AMF at one point. It was something Yukon Lanes. Or what, you know, it had many names, but to all of us, for the entire time it was open, it was uh, the Yukon Bowling Alley. So my mom and Andy's mom, Paula, were on, uh, they were in a bowling league and they were on the same team. And so we would all go to the bowling alley. And then 
You know, when you're inside a bowling alley, especially when you're kids, that is a safe place. Like, no one's going to murder you in a bowling alley. Like, we were just given completely free reign to run around and do anything we wanted, you know, while we were in the bowling alley. Um, I can, in my mind, uh, so I, I should mention this. This was not... This was not at the Yukon bowling alley. This was at a different bowling alley. It doesn't really matter, but it matters to me because visually in my head, I could see this bowling alley. When you walked in, I think there were 20 bowling lanes and there were 10 on the left and 10 on the right. So you walked in the middle and as you walked in the door, there was this circular area right in the front and in that, it was like a half height wall Inside that circular area were two pool tables and a couple of cocktail uh, arcade machines. One of them was Rally X. Uh, I remember playing Rally X there. Um, I think the other one may have been either Satan's Hollow or Joust. I just don't remember. But Rally X is the one that really sticks out with me. Uh, Of course, all arcade games and pinball machines were a quarter back then. But pool was 50 cents. So we did play a lot of pool, but we did not play pool the right way. Now, if you've ever played pool on like a bar table, uh, you put in your money and then all the balls come out on the side. It's in that little holder and you you have all 15 balls plus the cue ball and you, you set up all the balls on the table and then you, you play and, until they're all gone. And when they go down uh, in a pocket, they, they aren't re-released, right? They're, they're trapped inside the machine until you pay more money and get another set of balls out. Um, but what we would do is we would just get, like, we would put our money in, get the 15 balls, and then we would just put one ball out there. And we would just hit that ball as long as we could. We, you know, the goal was to not make the ball, <laughs> was to come up with trick shots and have someone catch the ball or do all these things. Like, you would, uh, and if when the ball finally went in, there's 14 left. And then you get another one out. And then we, you would do it. And so the, the goal was not to try to to see who could win as quickly as possible. The goal was to see how long you could stretch 50 cents. You know, if you could make it go a half hour or something like that, that was great entertainment for us. Uh, I remember like, you know, uh, setting up like trick shots, like, Hey, can you hit this? And, and uh, putting a penny on the table and see who could hit the penny or, or doing the thing like where you draw, where each of you hit a ball and it bounces off the far bumper and rolls back slowly. And then you see who could get closest to the bumper. And then the winner would stay up and the next kid would go. We had all kinds of made-up pool games that weren't really how you play eight ball. But um, but we had a lot of, of uh, fun doing it. Now, um, in that bowling alley, there was a hallway. Uh, so when you came in, you know, all that stuff was in the middle. But there was a long hallway and at the end of that hallway, at the very end of the hallway, was like a daycare for little kids. But there was an alcove before you got there. And in that alcove was a couple of pinball tables. I'm 99% sure the Black Knight was one of those pinball tables. I thought Pinbot or something was one. But the time, this would have been early, early 80s. So it can't be Pinbot. I, I don't, but it was something like that. And then there were two or three arcade machines. I know one was Asteroids. Um, but the one that I remember the most there was Galaxian. Uh, that was the first place I saw Galaxian. Uh, we were terrible at Galaxian, but I was uh, infatuated with that game. I had seen Space Invaders, and Space Invaders was, you know, black and white. 
and then all of a sudden you get uh, Galaxian, and it's in full color, and the lasers. It was oh, it was. Um, uh, I loved it so much, and um, <clears throat> one of the things that uh, that we would take with us was. Are you familiar with a Tupperware? Used to sell these things, and it's like a, a ours was yellow, like this mustard yellow color, and it was a cake board. So you you would it was square, and you, you know, so if you baked a cake, you would put it on this thing, and then there was a lid that went over the top that was uh, kind of like frosted color, like you couldn't really see through it, but it wasn't it wasn't totally um, opaque. I guess that makes it what translucent kind of. Um, but it was square, you know, and then you would put it over the the cake thing, and then and then there were like plastic handles that would snap it into place or whatever. So you could carry, you could transport a cake in this. Uh, but I just had the lid, and upside down, that was a perfect place for me to store Legos. So when I was a kid, that's what uh, until my Lego collection outgrew that. That's what I kept all my Legos in. And so when we went to the bowling alley, I would take my Legos because the reality is we didn't have that much money. You know, we couldn't play 50 games of, of Galaxian or pool. You know, we might each get a dollar's worth of quarters. And when that was gone, you know, we were going to be there for two hours, two and a half hours. Uh, and we would run out of money. So we had to entertain ourselves in other ways. And that was one was, uh, we would play Legos. And one of my big memories from this was, we, if you remember in Legos, like in the early days, like late seventies, early eighties, they had the little, uh, we call them roof pieces. Like if you're building a house, they were like four Legos wide, four little dots wide, and they would be sloped. And if you're building a house, this is what you would use. I had a whole bunch of red ones, a whole bunch of blue ones that, that was kind of, <clears throat> you know, uh, just part of, part of the collection back then. Uh, but we found out if you put, um, like one facing left and one facing right, and then one on top of them to connect them with a little bit of overlap, it kind of looked like the spaceships in Galaxian. And so we would just spend all this time building Galaxian Legos. And we we would build these little armies, and you would put the little yellow things that kind of doubled as a person's head back then, and you would put them on the top and, and, uh, or, you know, little one pieces or whatever, but they didn't look exactly like Galaxian ships, but it was close enough for us. And we would literally make these armies of Galaxian ships and spread them out, uh, on the, uh, the bar, you know, that overlooked where everybody was bowling and set it up like the game and do things like that. Um, yeah, I just, I just have a lot of great memories, um, uh, of that. Now, past all that area, towards the back of the bowling alley was the snack bar. Now, we did not hang out in the snack bar. I think the snack bar was more like if you were spending money, you know. So I don't remember going in the snack bar and hanging out there um, very often. But outside the snack bar, I remember there was a cigarette machine. uh, Because I, um, uh, my mom didn't smoke, but Andy's mom smoked. And I remember, like being sent there with Andy with change to go buy cigarettes. So we, we knew how to, um, and that was something that 10 year olds did back then. And this wouldn't even been 10. This is probably eight, eight, nine years old was go buy cigarettes, you know, for your parents. Um, but, uh, there was also a jukebox that was by there. And, um, there are songs to this day. I wrote down some of these songs, but there are songs to this day that just, Take me back 
to that bowling alley. Uh, let's see. How many did I write down here? Five or six. Um, but uh, here's one. Kenny Rogers, the gambler. On a warm summer's eve. I'm not going to sing every one of these. But um, the thing is, we didn't we didn't play these songs. But not only did people play songs on the jukebox, but then when no one was playing them, it would just automatically play uh, the same songs over and over. So while we were there, we might hear each one of these songs, uh, you know, multiple, four, five, six times. Um, Kenny Rogers, the gambler, uh, Matt Davis, I believe is who did this version of, uh, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. The thing is when you're a kid and you're impressionable, you hear these songs over and over. Like I know every word to these songs and I have not listened to them since listening at the bowling eye. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble <laughs> when you're perfect in every way. Um, you know. We just heard them so many times. Eddie Rabbit, I Love a Rainy Night. Uh, that was on the jukebox. Juice Newton's uh, Queen of Hearts. And both of those, uh, Eddie Rabbit and Juice Newton, uh, are ones that uh, I ended up getting the 45 as well. So in my early uh, music tastes were heavily influenced by the music we were hearing at the Bowling Alley. There were several Jerry Reed songs that were in there. I remember When You're Hot, You're Hot. When You're Not, You're Not. I said I'm not going to sing these. Um, but the other one that was in there that used to crack us up, and I we didn't really get the joke. We didn't get the pun at this time, but it was uh, his song about divorce uh, where he says, uh, she got the gold mine, I got the shaft. <laughs> That's a funny song. But, yeah, we heard all these over and over. And then, of course, the ultimate one, was Charlie Daniels' band, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. And now I had that, and I don't really know uh, how this, like the logistics, but the one that I, when they played that song on the radio, you know, there's a part where at the end he says, I told you once, you son of a gun. But there's another version where he doesn't say son of a gun. He obviously says something else, and that's the version that they had at the bowling alley. So every time... You know, we would wait there with bated breath. We're like, we're going to hear a cuss word. And it was the highlight of our day to hear Charlie Daniels, uh, you know, talking talking with that potty mouth to the devil. But so anyway, um, again, my, my biggest memories of going to this bowling alley as a child was that we uh, were told not to leave, but everything else was fair game. No one watched us no one asked us to check in for however long that was two hours three hours one day a week we walked in the door we were turned loose we're given some quarters we could play pool we could play galaxian we could run laps we could go buy cigarettes for <laughs> andy's mom we could listen to the jukebox we could play legos I, I also remember drawing i was in a big drawing phase at that time i had a um uh, my dad got through his work like like uh, just reams of ribbon, uh, tractor feed, printer paper. And uh, we would take that up there and draw. So just really good times associated with the bowling alley. However, as kids, we never bowled. <laughs> it was, that it was, we did everything at the bowling alley except bowling. So fast forward a few years, this is the mid eighties. This would be 1985, 1986. And this is when I met my buddy, Jeff. 
Uh, and Jeff lived uh, in Yukon, and he lived, uh, I looked this up online, he lived almost exactly one mile away from the Yukon bowling alley. And this would have been my first exposure, I believe, to the Yukon bowling alley. Now, the bowling alley is literally located at the end of where his neighborhood ends, and he lives all the way, or lived all the way on the other end of the neighborhood. So uh, I would spend the night with him sometimes, maybe on a Friday night after school. This would be seventh grade, eighth grade. Spend the night, and in the morning, we would wake up, and his mom was always very generous to us, uh, giving us quarters and stuff. I think... um, you know, she would give overcompensate and give him even more money knowing that he would be sharing, you know, quarters with me. And so we would take, um, uh, you know, like, I mean, she might give us $10 or $20 worth of quarters, like, like significant money. Uh, and we would walk the mile from his house all the way down to um, uh, the bowling alley. Now, this is the neighborhood that he grew up in. And so sometimes as we were walking, we would see other kids, uh, that, that lived along the path. And sometimes they would join us. You know, I felt like we were the, the Pied Pipers of, of going to the bowling alley. Um, I did, like I said, I did look this up on, um, Google maps. It says it's exactly one mile. It says walking. It would be 23 minutes. Now, sometimes we rode skateboards. Sometimes, uh, uh, I don't know if we ever rode bikes, but a lot of times we walked, uh, and it was, um, uh, you know, no problem getting back down there. Now, the Yukon Bowling Alley, uh, you walked in the front, and it did not have lanes on both sides. All the lanes ran all the way down. I think it was 20 lanes, 24 lanes. 24 lanes sounds right. They were all on one side of the building. So the building was very narrow and long. And if you uh, if you went to the left, that's kind of where the snack bar was and some other stuff. The bathrooms were down there. But if you went to the right and you walked down, there was uh, the area where you could, like, get your bowling shoes and all that. And you kept walking. And then it opened up into another room, and that was the arcade. Uh, this arcade was one of... I don't even know how to say this. Like growing up, when I talk about the arcades of my youth, this is one of those arcades. It opened up into this room, uh, and uh, the room that it that it that it entered into was the same height as the rest of the bowling alley, and then there were steps down into the the remainder of the room. So the top part of the room was filled with arcade games. I mean, when I say filled with arcade games, uh, 20 machines, let's say. And then um, when you went down the steps, there were six pool tables, two, two, and two. Um, So later, you know, even in like in high school, this was one of the Friday night hangouts. Everybody went there. Every pool table was filled all the time. The arcade games were going... A lot of people my age, you know, back then, like high school teenagers, did not go to bowl. They went to go uh, hang out in the arcade. Uh, I can tell you specifically, like specific memories. I know they had Commando. Uh, I know they had Karate Champ. I played a lot of Karate Champ. I know they had Yi Kung Fu. 
Um, I remember Defender being there. I remember the game Gunsmoke, which is another Capcom game. And, you know, you just get those certain memories. And, and I mean, there's a lot of other games there that I just don't really remember what they were. But, like, I do remember playing ER Kung Fu in that room. I do remember, uh, you know, playing Karate Champ there. They also had um, a couple of large sit-down uh, or environmental, or like arcade cabinet, like cockpit-type ones. And I don't remember if they had them at the same time because they were outside the arcade. They were, like, in the hallway going to the arcade. But one was Mach 3. If you're not familiar with Mach 3, Mach 3 was a Laserdisc game uh, where it kind of had two parts. One part was almost... we. I always thought it was, like, the movie... Um, uh, Firefox, where you're like flying, it's almost like a first person uh, version of River Raid. You're flying, and you're and the laser disc is giving you uh, all the graphics, but then they've got a, a you know graphical overlay on top of of the video footage. And then the second part is an overhead thing, and you're you're doing bombing. But it was at the time I saw it, I thought it was the most advanced video game I'd ever seen in my entire life. And they had it at a bowling alley, so we played Mach Three. And then, like I said, I just can't remember if it was at the same time, uh, if they had both of these machines, or if they. I, I, what I think is now that I, the more I think about it, I think when they got rid of Mach Three, they replaced it with uh, Afterburner, the Afterburner, the jet flying game where you sat in it and used the joystick, and the whole thing moved. It moved left, right. It moved up, down. It was this big, giant um, arcade machine, and again you know, in a bowling alley. But, uh, uh, so I definitely remember those things. Now I have this specific memory. And what's funny about this memory is everybody I've mentioned this to that went to the bowling alley says, Oh, they, they totally remember this happening. Um, my wife and I make this joke sometimes like we joke and we say, um, uh, what if right now we were in a music video? And so, like, we'll pull up to a stoplight and somebody will be in a crosswalk and we'll turn on the music in the car just so where we could hear it. But we're like, if this were a music video, that person will imagine, like, they would start dancing or there would be <laughs> someone would start doing the moonwalk or whatever, you know. Um, and so we, we just kind of have fun imagining that. And I remember uh, when, um, you know, this is be 87, 88, when White Snake hit it big. And they put White Snake on the jukebox in in the uh, Bowling Alley arcade, and um, someone would play either "Here I Go Again" or uh, "Still of the Night," like one of those classic White Snakes. And I remember it was like the whole place turned into an MTV video. I could remember people standing at the pool table picking up pool sticks and just playing the guitar solo, you know, playing an air guitar on a pool cue and people up by the arcade uh, machines, you know, just belting out, you know, the, the song and all these things. And I mentioned this to people and they go, I remember that happening at the bowling alley. So obviously it didn't just happen one time. Um, and it, it must not have happened. I mean, it must have happened to other records that they had in there. But everybody I talked to says they remember Whitesnake. And those songs just driving people crazy. So, um, but yeah, that was, you know, probably starting from before I could drive, like maybe when we were 12, 13, 14, walking down there uh, from Jeff's house, going there. And even, you know, as a, a high school teenager, going to the bowling alley and, and hanging out, just uh, such great, great memories 
of that arcade located um, inside the bowling alley. Now, right around this same time, my mom joined another bowling league, and this was a nighttime bowling league, and I believe the bowling time was from 7 to 9 p.m. So we would leave our house at 6.30, and we would get home at 9.30. So a three-hour block on Wednesday nights. Now, I was old enough by this time that I didn't have to go, but boy, I wanted to go. <laughs> he wanted to be at this bowling alley. And this was a free ride. This is before I had a car. So you would go up to the bowling alley. Andy's mom uh, was on the league. Our next door neighbor was on the league. All these people were on the same bowling league. So when you went there, uh, if everybody, you know, you would call people, hey, you going to bowling tonight? And then we would all, you know, go up there and meet. Now, not everybody came uh, every time, but. Uh, one reason that I remember, especially when it was a little bit later, uh, like, I mean, this is 87, 88. A reason that I remember it's Wednesday night is because Wednesday night was when Unsolved Mysteries aired. And Unsolved Mysteries, uh, from the day I first saw it, has always been one of my favorite TV shows. I still watch Unsolved Mysteries today. Uh, they have all these free, like, Pluto TV and Tubi. They all have Unsolved, and Amazon Prime has them. They all have Unsolved Mysteries. And I watch, I watch Unsolved Mysteries, I'm not exaggerating, almost every day. Like when I'm laying down for bed at night, I put on Unsolved Mysteries and it's, it's like um, being swaddled in a very comfortable blanket full of murder. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, so we would go Wednesday night, we would go to the, the Yukon Bowling Alley. Uh, I would... Um, uh, again, you know, maybe get a dollar or two in quarters, which was not enough to kill two hours, but it was enough to play a few games. You know, I, I was never, I never put money in the jukebox. I always let other people play, uh, play songs on the jukebox, but I, I definitely would play, um, you know, arcade games that you could buy a Coke for 50 cents. So, uh, you know, two bucks w would, um, would get you a, a little ways. Uh, but one of the things I started doing at that time was I would go, uh, you know, I'd go spend my money in the arcade and then we would go into the snack bar and we would just camp out. There was like a little round booth in the back corner and I would go there sometimes by myself, sometimes just me and Andy, sometimes me and another kid, one or two kids, but, but we would always gravitate to this back corner booth. Um, I, I remember very specific things doing in that booth. One was in seventh grade, I volunteered. Uh, I was like a teacher's pet in this class and I volunteered to grade papers for her. Who would let a 12 year old grade their peers papers? I don't know. Uh, but she would give me a stack of papers. And so I would take them to the bowling alley on Wednesday and sit in this corner booth and um, grade tests and grade papers. So I definitely remember doing that. Uh, but this is around the same time where I really started getting into advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And so I remember taking like a, like a player's manual or, you know, the DM manual, something and just sitting there and reading it, but holding it up in front of me in a way that someone might see the cover and then come join me. You know, that was always the hope is that someone would think I was cool. And they would come over and then they would want to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. I remember there was a, a kid at my school, the same age as me, who uh, his mom was on a league. And we actually played 
Dungeons and Dragons in the snack bar bowling alley, but not too much. And it was usually only the two of us, so it's kind of hard to get a good game going, you know, with just um, uh, two people. But yeah, we we um, uh, definitely, you know, read books, uh, played um, uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, you know, that that was pretty much in the snack bar. Of course, the snack bar. I remember they had uh, the little. Almost like what you get at a football game, like nachos with just chips and cheese on top of it for fifty cents, I think, and then a coke for fifty cents. So you, you know, for a dollar out of your uh, uh, out of your two dollars, you know, you could go do that. Now, um, I will tell you, I have a very weird thing. I've sent an email out. I was hoping to hear back from someone, and I haven't heard back yet. But I have this. Have you ever had something? that you're not sure if it happened or not. Like, it's almost a hazy memory, and I really can't remember if this is a dream or if this really happened. But I seem to recall that we went one time to the arcade and discovered that the uh, locks, the lock boxes on the arcade machines weren't locked, and they were full of quarters. And so we, once we figured this out, we got quarters out of the machines and we were not, not thieves, you know, but we put them right back into the machine. So we were playing arcade games for free. So in a way you could say we were stealing, uh, we weren't stealing the money. We, I mean, we didn't take the money, but we were stealing games. We were playing games for free. Uh, but the thing is, I have dreamt about this so many times over the years, and it's always a little different, and I can't, it's such a hazy memory that I can't remember if it ever really happened at all. I'm pretty sure it did, and there was another kid that was associated with this, and so I've emailed that guy, I'm friends with him on Facebook, and I just haven't heard back this weekend, but I was hoping to see if um, uh, if he remembers it, but, it, but it's, like I said, the dreams are always a little different, and so it's just hard to remember the source if the source um uh was real you know um so uh i would say post high school uh like i we never really did bowling i didn't do bowling when my mom was in the bowling league i didn't do bowling um during that the only bowling that i ever actually did was um uh, video games, you know, the Atari bowling I talked about. And then on the Commodore 64, there's a game, I think it's 10 pin bowling. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it's a, a vertical type bowling game. It had very good graphics, very good animation at the time. And, and, uh, we played that quite a bit, but we didn't really go bowling until we got, you know, out of high school for a year or two. And for some reason, we just, my friends and I decided that it would be, uh, a cool thing to like go on a Friday night or a Saturday night and, and go bowling. And so we did this a couple of times. And this is really where uh, the first times that I had really remember ever going bowling. You know, I was probably, well, I know the story I'm about to tell you, I was 20 years old, but 18, 19, you know, we, we went a few times. I specifically remember my high score of all time at that time was 130, which I thought was really good. And then I found out that that's not a very good uh, bowling score, but that was my personal best at the time. It felt, it felt like a pretty good score (laughs) to me. Um, 
so anyway, we um, uh, one night uh, I was. This was in the summer of nineteen ninety four. No, spring of nineteen ninety four. In a minute, I'll tell you exactly what day it was. Uh, so in 1994, in the summer of 94, my wife and I both would have turned 21. So this is a few months before we turned uh, 21. We went to the Ballin Alley and uh, we met our other friends there. And then, you know, there was like maybe 10 of us. There was a lot of us there. And we were all bowling and having a good time. And then a waitress came by and asked us if we wanted some beer. Um, yes, because I'm 20. <laughs> and beer is hard to buy and hard to find. And I would love uh, someone offering me beer without carding me. And so we bought a pitcher of beer. And so I think my recollection is we split two pitchers of beer between 10 people. So none of us are uh, intoxicated. None of us are drunk. All of us had one beer, you know, maybe one and a half mugs of beer or something like that. We had a really fun time. And uh, there's a part of this story that's kind of a mystery. I'm not entirely sure how it happened. But someone drove by. Uh, my wife used to have a, uh, a Saturn SC2, uh, which was uh, in, in Yukon. It was unique. It was the only red Saturn SC2. And it had, a very, uh, it had her name on the license plate. So when you saw the car, you knew it was her. So someone drove by and saw our car at the bowling alley. And I don't, like I said, I don't know how this part happened, but I guess they came inside and saw us drinking beer and called the police. (laughs) And so we're bowling and uh, all of a sudden the police come into the bowling alley and they come get us. <laughs> and they start saying, you know, they're like, oh, are you drinking? And then of course we're like, nope, we're not drinking beer. No, no, what you're talking about. Now my wife was not a beer drinker. And so they, they keep saying all this stuff. And the essentially like I'm dancing around a topic here, but a, a family member, uh, not on my part of the family, turns out was the person who had, had done this, who had called the police and turned us in. And so that family member was in the parking lot. So we were escorted out of the bowling alley um, by the police. The family member was waiting out there to confront us, and it turned into a giant shouting match uh, between everybody involved. Uh, The police were trying to get everybody to stop shouting. Uh, This was also... Uh, six months or less before Susan. Well, no, uh, this would have been um, uh, 94. We got married in 95, but this was almost a deal breaker. I thought, I, I don't know that I can marry into a family that, that this would happen in. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it was all, everything happened so suddenly that we were now in the parking lot. Everybody is yelling and they said, you guys just need to go home. And Susan says, okay. And then they said, wait, we've got to give you a sobriety test. <laughs> and so they gave my wife, the one person who's not drinking beer, not drinking anything, gave her a sobriety test. And, um, of course, passed with flying colors. And so uh, we we drove home. I was livid. 
Um, like I was, uh, I, there, it's difficult to explain how upset I was uh, over this incident. We went home, and um, and then I mean, we had I mean, we were living in a house, and uh, and and we had alcohol at our house, so we ended up. Uh, I, I don't remember, and but I will tell you this: I had I had more beer than she did, and um, so the day the thing the reason I can tell you that I know the exact day that this took place is because the next morning was Easter, so this was the Saturday night before Easter. And I woke up the next morning with a little bit of a hangover, and my feet were killing me. I'd never felt foot pain like this. And so as I got up, I was still wearing my clothes that I'd been wearing from the night before. And when I got out of bed and looked, I was still wearing my bowling shoes. I kept those bowling shoes for years. I wore them. They were... um, uh, red, like a maroon and a blue color. And I actually bought a polo that had maroon and blue that matched him exactly. And I, I wore that outfit multiple times uh, whenever uh, whenever I would uh, go out to places. So um, I don't know as far as uh, being forgiven for, for sins and asking for forgiveness. Uh, and, and I'm a better person than I was back then. But I can tell you that on Easter morning, 1994, I woke up wearing a stolen pair of, of bowling shoes. You know what the the bad part about that story is that I lost my shoes. <laughs> the shoes, my normal shoes, were back because you had to give them up for collateral uh, at the bowling alley. So I lost my good shoes. Um, uh, you know, after that, but um, you know, <laughs> oh, funny stories. Um. So uh, I talked a little bit about uh, 10th frame f- bowling. Um, I, don't, I don't know that I was huge into 10th frame bowling, but what was funny is uh, on the Commodore, I had a list of all my games, and that was the very first game alphabetically because it started with a number, 1-0, you know. Uh, and so when I had resorted all my discs, it was like on the first disc. And so uh, I played it probably disproportionately more than other games just because it was right there and accessible. Um, I don't have a lot of memories of bowling games uh, that I played over the year, but I do remember uh, getting Grand Theft Auto. I think it's Grand Theft Auto 4 where you could go bowling. And I had such a fun time playing the bowling game in Grand Theft Auto 4. I know that's not the point of the game. I know there's so many other missions and things you're supposed to do. But I played the bowling part of Grand Theft Auto 4 a lot, actually. It's kind of fun. Uh, but if you're going to talk about bowling video games, there's really one that you have to talk about, and it was uh, Wii Bowling. Uh, of course, that was um, uh, on Wii Sports, that which was the uh, pack-in title for the original Nintendo Wii. Um, you know, I remember playing the tennis game, and that was kind of fun, and playing the other stuff, but Wii Bowling, uh, you know, just kind of took over the world for a while. Like Everybody was doing... Uh, Wii Bowling, and then some people were breaking their TV with uh, Wii Bowling because they would, you know, they wouldn't put on the uh, the wrist strap, and they would the remote would slip out of their hand. But uh, I loved the Wii Bowling. My kids loved the Wii Bowling. We played that all the time, uh, and you know, 
it's kind of a side topic, but uh, there have been times uh, I believe that you should not be able to buy a video game console that doesn't play a game. Like I think Atari, the Atari 2600 set the standard. Like you buy an Atari and you get combat and combat is a fun game. There's a lot of different, you know, variations on combat and with two people, especially a combat can be a lot of fun, but you're not going to play it forever. You know, you will outgrow combat and then you'll want to buy other games, right? But Nintendo specifically, a couple of times, I believe, has made pack-in games too good. And one example is with the NES whenever you got the the version that came with Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. Like, I know people for a long time that Super Mario Brothers was the only cartridge they owned. Like, you went to their house and they were like, you want to play... They didn't even say you want to play Nintendo. They'd say you want to play Mario. You want to play Super Mario Brothers because that was their only game. And you could really go down the rabbit hole on Super Mario Brothers, you know. And I think initially for the Wii, I think the Wii had that same problem where, you know, when you got Wii Sports, then they said there's all these other titles and people were like, yeah, no, Wii Sports. We're just going to play Wii Sports. We're just going to play this bowling game and the tennis game. and, And, you know, we're not... Uh, we're not even going to play these other games you know, or buy other software. So Nintendo, I think, um, has made that mistake a couple times where their pack-in game was actually um, a little bit too good. But boy, uh, did uh, my kids, they loved uh, making the little Miis and, and playing Wii Bowling. Um, we, did, we did a lot of that. So let's go back to the Yukon Bowling Alley for a little bit. In uh, 2001... 2001 was my 10-year high school reunion. Um, it, you know, something funny has happened with high school reunions. Uh, now that, um, not really with MySpace, but now that you know, Facebook is so um, ubiquitous in our culture, uh, I haven't heard about a high school reunion again. Uh, we had a, a 20th that was kind of a flop, but since then, like, nobody talks about that because the whole point of a high school reunion was to go back and, see the people that, you know, you haven't connected with and all that. But everybody I ever wanted to see is online. Like, there's nobody, there's nobody missing. There's no mysteries. There's no, like, whatever happened to that guy? Everybody knows what happened to that guy and every other guy. Like, it's all on Facebook. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that the reunion is dead, but it's, it's definitely um, uh, on its way out. So anyway, my wife, myself, uh, two or three other people kind of got uh, roped into planning our 10-year reunion. And we had planned a dinner, a banquet thing on Saturday night, but a lot of people said it was too expensive and they didn't want to do it. So we had to come up with a free alternative uh, throughout the weekend. You know, we wanted to have m- multiple events for people to do. Uh, my town has a uh Czech festival. Our town was um, founded by Czechoslovakians. And so we have an annual Czech festival and that fell on this weekend. So Saturday morning was a Czech festival and we had a location where people could, you know, stop by and say hi and meet up or whatever. Uh, but what we planned for uh, Friday night before the reunion was uh, an event at the bowling alley. And so uh, what what the request was from a lot of people was they wanted a family-friendly event, not just something where, you know, the, the banquet was for graduates. But the bowling alley thing, uh, people brought their kids, people brought their families. 
and it was really fun. There was a part of the bowling alley that they had added on called the Mill Grinder, which was a, a bar, a pub. So some people went in the mill grinder. They played music. You know, it was like a little kind of a club and a bar. And people danced and did all that. But other people brought their kids and bowled. And I have so many pictures from that night. It was a really, really um, fun event, you know. Uh, so so when I would go to the bowling alley, like I just over time, you know, because it's your local Bowling alley, you start adding these memories, you know, like you go, oh, yeah, I played these games here. I remember when that was here. Uh, one night, we went, they, uh, for a while, they were doing rock and bowl where they would turn off all the lights and they had black lights and they had a DJ come in and he, he would play, uh, you know, current rock music and stuff. And we went to that, like it was like a midnight kind of thing, you know. We, we went to that at the bowling alley uh, one time. My son had two of his birthday parties, I believe his fourth and fifth birthday party at the Yukon Bowling Alley. Now, this was kind of funny. Uh, you know, this is before he was in uh, regular school, so all his friends came from the daycare, right? And so we planned this birthday party at the bowling alley. And I didn't, you know, when he was four, like I didn't know how, how do four-year-olds bowl? I didn't know. Um, but the way they bowl is that at the Yukon Bowling Alley, first they had um, these mechanical bumpers that they would pull up so you couldn't throw a gutter ball. It would just bounce off the bumpers. Uh, so no matter what you threw, it would hit something down there. And then the other thing they have is this like ramp. If you've never seen one, it's like a metal ramp, a, a big curve, and you put your bowling ball at the top of it and push it off and it rolls down the ramp. So you kind of just aim the ramp. Uh, at wherever you want the ball to go, and it rolls down the ramp and goes down the lane. Uh, so, I, I don't know, we had like 10 kids at this party. It was a lot of fun. I have a lot of pictures from that party. And uh, if you've never been bowling or if you're not familiar, there is a invisible line where the lane starts, and you're not allowed to step over that lane or it's a foul. And we could not get the kids to stop stepping over that line. Every time they did something, they would step on it, step on it. You know, who cares? It's little kids, right? And the guy who was working at the bowling alley that day lost his mind. He came down and yelled at us and said, they keep, they're fouling, you know. And um, and this is a, one of the famous quotes. Uh, my wife, I told her I was going to do an episode about bowling, and she repeated this quote back to me. So uh, apparently this is um, part of my history now. But he came down and he said, these scores would not count in league play. <laughs> and I turned it, I said, therefore. <laughs> so when I told my wife I was doing an episode, she said, these scores would not count in league play. <laughs> I guess they were, they were fouling um, a, a, a little bit too much. Um, I was looking through my uh, digital archive of photos, and I found a bunch of photos from January 2nd, 2014, uh, in which I took my kids bowling to the Yukon Bowling Alley. So this would have been the day after New Year's. I was probably off work, and I seem to recall that it might have been a snow day for the daycare. So I don't think uh, the kids were in daycare. And my wife, for some reason, was not with us. I think maybe uh, she was out of town or something. I just, I just don't remember. But um, if you've ever, if you've, um, if you're a parent 
and you've ever been left in charge of two young kids, you know, uh, I mean, there are times, like I took my kids to the park and then I would just sit, I would be like, you guys go play. And I'd sit on the bench and just hold my head and just thank God, I hope like if they'll just entertain themselves for 10 minutes, just anything, you know, just any kind of break. And so I remember taking them to the bowling alley and we had a lot of fun. Uh, so, um, yeah, that was a, a definitely a fun memory. And like I said, uh, I had a good time, um, looking through those pictures recently and just seeing those pictures. Now, um, I guess it's been about 10 years ago. We were driving down the street one day and all of a sudden I saw a sign out front in front of the bowling alley that said for sale. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, maybe another bowling alley will, will buy it or something. But what I heard was that they were removing all the bowling stuff. So I guess, um, it was owned by AMF. Like it had been purchased as part of, uh, AMF, like as a chain. And then they had just closed the location. They were selling, selling the building and it was no longer, uh, going to be a bowling alley. Now I will tell you. In my life, I don't have a lot of um, I don't have a lot of big regrets, but I have lots of small regrets. And the price of the Bolin Alley was four hundred and nineteen thousand dollars. Now I don't remember how big the bowling alley is, but twenty thousand square foot, thirty thousand. I mean, it's a large bowling alley. Uh, at the time that it was for sale. Uh, my house was not, my house was worth, uh, just over half of what the bowling alley cost. And I told my wife, I want to buy this bowling alley. And she said, they're, they're pulling all this stuff out, Rob. It's not going to be a bowling alley. I said, I know. I said, I want to live in a bowling alley. And I had it all figured out. I was like, okay, you don't need a kitchen because there's a snack bar, you know? And I don't know if they were going to leave the the um the oven and the other appliances and stuff in there but if not i mean we had a fridge we had an oven we could put that stuff back in there and i said so you've got a snack thing i said there's a whole daycare area that could be our bedroom it's a whole room we just put a bed in there and decorate it that would be the bedroom and just imagine what you could do with all the space i was like i could build an indoor skate park <laughs> that was my dream uh, we could, we could do whatever we want. And I said, by the way, it has a big area that was built to be an arcade. We could put pool tables down there. I mean, it was, I just had this vision. I was like, I want to do this so bad. Uh, and number one, we didn't, we didn't have the money, you know, there, there was just no way, um, to do this. It was just not at a point in our career and our lives. I just couldn't have done it. And, um, uh, but that that's that's that was a dream. I was like, I'm gonna buy, and it also it was not zoned for someone to live in it. So I probably would have had to make a fake business and then not tell anybody that I lived in a bowling alley. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't get that far in the logistics, you know. Um, and then remember, they had the mill grinder, which was a whole bar. So I would have had my own club. I could have stocked the drinks. Uh, it, it just would have been an amazing thing, you know. And um, uh, you know, snack bar arcade at the front they had the, the shop the store area where you would buy bowling balls i mean I, I just had plans for every one of those rooms i just knew it would have been cool and um you know just didn't um there, there wasn't any way to do it 
And the bowling alley sold, and they gutted. I watched. They took everything out of it, and they turned it into a church. My town is, uh, I mean, here in in the, the the Midwest. Like we we have to have one of the highest capita, like the ratio of churches to people. Like we have so many churches in my town, and I just didn't know that we needed another one. And I didn't know that they needed to turn the bowling alley into a church, but that is what they did. Uh, literally, there's a road next to it. On the other side of that road, there's a church. There's a church across the street. I mean, I, my town has to have 30 churches, and we have less than 30,000 people. Like, there are a lot of churches in my town and in the immediate area. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I don't hold anything against it. I just thought they could have turned it into something um, a little bit more interesting, you know. And I was driving by there the other day. Uh, we were going down the street, and I was looking at it, you know, and, and I didn't even see anything. I was just kind of staring at it. And my wife said, you know, we should have bought that bowling alley. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hare at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. My shows would not be possible without the support of Patreon and supporters like Zyke, Jake Nonamaker, and Damian Frank. If you would like to support my podcast and other creative ventures, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, random videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more details, visit my page. Again, that is patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. You Don't Know Flack is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com. This episode is also available on YouTube. So I'd love feedback if you would like to watch future episodes on YouTube or if you think I should upload the old episodes to YouTube, let me know. I'm looking for feedback on that. To hear more podcasts from me, visit podcast.robohara.com for links and information about all my other shows. That includes the new show, Kooky Tales Podcast. Go check that out. Congratulations. If you made it this far, you now know a little bit about flat. See you here next time, turkey. Get it? <laughs>